Hello, welcome to another episode <laughs> of Scientology. Fair Game, the podcast. I'm Mikey. Hi, Lily. How nice are to see you. you. I'm good. You're in a very good mood because you just got back from vacation. I did, and it was very, very enjoyable. That's really nice. Look at that yeah. cherry red nose. Right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Lot of lot of sun in Mexico. Wish I was in Mexico. Yeah, it was great. I'm like the only one. I feel like I'm the only one on the planet. Like if you scroll through Instagram all day and night, like most of us do. <laughs> I wonder if anybody else feels like what the fuck life am I living? Like everybody's living, it seems better. Like Going on vacations, this one's, you know, not even if they're on vacation, but it just seems like people do things. I don't do anything. I don't do anything. I'm right behind you. Don't, don't worry. You're not the only one. <laughs> All right, good. Well, let's, 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 let's uh, introduce our special guest. Yes, this is my very dear, very old friend. Uh, not that he's as old as I am, but no. he is a very old friend. Gary Moorhead, who was formerly the chief of the security force at Golden Era Productions. And he also appeared on The Aftermath in season two, episode five, in honestly one of my more memorable experiences on The Aftermath, where he recounted the story of his wife and her forced abortion and how they ended up being split up it was that was a, a tearjerker from the outset and all the way through so welcome gary well hello mike thank you for having me of course so let's let's go through like you said uh gary was the head of security at golden era productions uh going clear gary was the head of the security over at Gold, and uh, and since Gary's been there, Gary, would you say that the security has gotten even worse as far as people escaping? Because many people have escaped. Mike escaped. You escaped. The Headleys escaped. Valerie Haney escaped. Who else escaped, Mike, recently? Ron Miscavige. Ron Miscavige, who has since sadly passed away. And uh, I don't know that anybody could escape at this point would you say gary what happens over there when somebody escapes from the gold base security measures in the physical physical security has certainly been tight mm -hmm. i can tell you that during the process or my process of writing out uh being sec checked by marty rathbun nobody knows what that means but, but okay. oh, oh security security checked interrogated you mean interrogated for hours on end but mine was specifically about the security of the base and how it can be defeated. I was specifically interrogated for, I think it was a month and a half every day for seven or eight hours on how it can be defeated. And is that because you had failed in their mind? Somebody escaped? No, I was, I was a security chief and now I, here I am leaving. Right. And my initial thing is I hopped the fence with my wife in the middle of the night and ran out to birthing our birthing which was off the main compound and near the college out there and so i was being interrogated on all the different ways that i was aware of that my own security system could be defeated mm -hmm. 
And um, being the security chief, I know anything and everything about the security system. So they wanted to know the weaknesses that I was aware of and how it can be breached from the inside out, not from the outside in. Sure. That's an important point. Uh, right. <laughs> because that, that is what they're concerned with, not people coming in. But, you know, certainly hopping a fence doesn't sound to be too, uh, you know, integral. I mean, it wasn't like a lot of planning had to go into that for people who are listening to this who are not familiar with going clear or um, the aftermath, I mean, why can't people simply just jump the gate like you did? Well, my being aware of the invisible sensors set up around the perimeter, I knew how far out from the fence I needed to jump, whereas the, the uninformed person trying to leave would just jump the fence, and they would jump into that invisible barrier, the electronic uh, eyeball that was looking outside the fence. I knew to jump out 10 feet, people would just jump out one feet from the fence and they'd set the alarm off. I didn't set the alarm off because I knew to jump 10 feet. And again, just playing devil's advocate here. So an alarm goes off, like, so what? Like, do they get electrocuted? I mean... It's- no, believe me, that thought was considered about electrifying Shut our fence. up. Oh, no, 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 no. Martin Reed, which Michael remember, there was heavy discussion on connecting of <laughs> the electrical voltage that provided... To the, all the lighting and, and putting arms on the uh, uh, wire to the fence directly from the transformers uh, to the fencing. And at a switch, at a moment's notice, I could switch it on and, and energize the perimeter fence. So, so you're actually talking through electrocuting people? Yes. And that was to electrocute <laughs> uh, people from the outside trying to get in. Not, yeah. There was too much of a liability, was the, the end conclusion. You know, one of our staffs or one of our staff's animals. Uh, making a wayward way to uh, the fence and getting zapped, and that would be the end of that. Let, let me just back up yeah. for a yeah, second. Yeah, yeah, please. Guys. Sorry, Mike. I just wanted to. I just was like, I just wanted it's to. okay. No, it's okay. I just for people that are unfamiliar with what this property is. Yeah, this property is a 500 acre piece of land uh, in Riverside County, California, near the city of Hemet. Uh, Hemet does not like to be associated with this property, but nevertheless, it is the closest large town to the Golden Era Productions property. It is divided by a state highway that goes right through the middle of the property. The central section of this property is the location where all of the staff are. And that central section is surrounded by fences. Five miles, five five to seven miles of fencing, yes. Right. Uh, this is like, you know, six foot high cyclone wire. Some of it has uh, razor wire on top of it. It has uh, motion sensors on the fence all the way around. It has spotlights and searchlights, which come on when the motion sensors are set off. It has uh, underground microphones, underground microphones, and it has there are three, actually four main gates that are the only real entrances onto and off the property. And those gates are uh, controlled by a security booth where there is a 24 hour a day security guard who monitors all the cameras monitors the gates. You cannot open or close those gates without the 
person in the security booth opening and closing them for you. They are heavy steel gates that roll back and forth on electric motors. So that just sort of sets the stage of the physical location. The center of the property that is surrounded by these fences is what, Gary, 100 acres? Yeah, I think it was like 135 acres of the 525 total. Okay, good. So in the this this is the compound is the 135 acres that is divided by this highway. Correct. You would think that you could just somehow get out onto the highway and be free, but and be gone. Yeah. There's not a lot of traffic on this highway, and cars are whizzing by at 65 miles an hour. There's not much hope of flagging anybody down, even. Well, Mike. You know, I was a little surprised when we went uh, because I had a visual of like an actual freeway going through it. But what what we're really talking about is if you get off the freeway, like when we exited, you yeah. can see that it gold was off like far from civilization. You could yeah. see it, but there was nothing in between. Right. And it was like at the end, it was like backed up to a mountain. So... One side is like nothingness, and the other side, when you say a freeway, it's not really a freeway where cars, highway. or a highway even, it's it's more of a, uh, I, I don't know how to explain it. It's, it's like a two-lane country road. Yeah, that nobody's like milling about, there's no stores, <laughs> yeah. there's no other houses, and they rigged it. Scientology rigged it so that you are not even, and, and by the way, look this up, please. There's amazing video of good people trying to find Shelly Miscavige, trying to talk to people who were in the gold base. And the sheriff's office of Riverside County uh, basically told these people to move on. Uh, they weren't even allowed to be on the side of the road. You can't even be on the side of the road. They fixed it so that you can't even be there. That was by design, Leah. The, the main thoroughfare through Golden Era out there on Highway 79, those wrought iron fences were brought down to the literal Golden Era property line where it transitioned into state highway property. With the purpose, we wouldn't be forced to put sidewalks in, giving advocates, people coming out there to protest, the ability to linger and walk up and down the highway without imposing upon traffic. Right. And then even Louis Faro, he he went out there trying That's to right. do his documentary. And uh, w- what's her name? Uh, Ka- Catherine Fraser. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She came out there and accosted him, and uh, yeah. he wasn't able to to have his cameras there. And uh, like I said, people have gone out there trying to picket, and the sheriff's department was very partial to Scientology, right. and was trying to get them on technicalities. You know, asking for their ID, like they were—they were basically doing the work for Scientology. And yep. we have since found out, Mike, uh, through talking to somebody at the Riverside County Sheriff's Office. I, I don't believe he's there any longer, but that uh, Golden Ear Productions, specifically Kathy, have the officers come there for barbecues and they host things for the Sheriff's Department there, and that's all very purposeful, right, Gary? Very purposeful, yes. Mm-hmm. That that was all part of our security plan and what we're going to do is when it happens, how it's going to happen, who's going to come out there, the property line, the, the sheriff, everything. I mean, everything you see in today's videos, 
yeah. from the last 10, 15 years, all that action that you see on the church's behalf is by design. Right. Like, so you guys actually seek out council women, council men, uh, the sheriff's department, the police departments to safe point them. It's called safe pointing. That's correct. There's two points, which is going locally, going in the local town and making contact with those agencies, public figures to safeguard them. Like and invite them to the property and that's right. Make schmooze. Hey, we're we're good. Schmoozle with them. We're all good. We're here for the community. And then by design also is when people come out to the property, who's going to be out there, what cameras and who's going to operate the cameras, what the staff are to do. They're supposed to, you know, be notified by alarm or phone call or verbal alarm to go inside and stay inside until we tell you to come out. (laughs) Yeah. Remember Leah, when we went there, we didn't see a soul, a soul, not a soul. And how many people are on that property, Mike? Well, it's probably down to about 500 now. 500, not a soul walking the property. When they saw us, what happens inside, Gary? Well, first of all, Mike, I believe that number is a generous one. When I left in 97, there was 835 staff. Yeah. Expected to grow to 1,100, which was the property designed as as the uh, capacity. And I, I'm going to see there's two to 300 at the most, but it, it's called a security drill, which is Scientology terminology for the, the steps of actions ones to do and not waver from that. Once those steps are established, you do the drill mm-hmm. without faltering or wavering from it. So there's a security drill activated. And when the staff hear that term security drill, there's media out there or there's SPs at the gate, suppressive people such as mm-hmm. yourself, Mike, myself, whomever mm-hmm. is there to voice everybody's goes to their assigned job. 90% of the staff are assigned just to stay in their offices and remain in their offices. And then there's a small handful of trusted staff to go out and be added physical security, put two people at each gate um, out along the perimeter, be an extra set of eyes for you see anybody coming into the riverbed or coming on off the mountain. Um, depending on the threat, some guys would defend themselves and go take um, literally the extreme drill ultimate if someone was there to take anybody out there was staff assigned to handle guns and um there was just different levels of security but the basic one is security drill yeah you're you're suggesting that if mike rinder came down the mountain from the other side Mm -hmm. to retrieve his friend heber jens or guillaume lazerve or to save his son or daughter from what they are currently living. You're telling me that Scientology staff members are told to shoot? Certain ones, but yes, the guns wouldn't be pulled out if Mike was there. Any of any Scientologists. This is like people in black suits and camo, you know. You mean like the FBI or our military? Are you fucking kidding me? Leah, there was one incident where I nearly killed somebody. It's, it's one of the two times where I had mentally, I had a gun pointed safety off two hollow points and three slugs loaded in the pistol pointed at this guy that was approaching me. And if he took one more step, it was that fine line. I would have two, I was singing in my head, two to the chest, one to the head, two to the chest, one to the head. That was my trained thing to do when I was faced with that. And yes, that turned out to be a drill, you know, Dave Miscavige putting the security force to the test to test our loyalty 
And uh, I almost killed a PI that was hired to come in and test the security force. So, yes, there's that extreme. And then there's the regular extreme, which is. Did you know this? I mean, I'm sorry. This is just. Am I the only one who's like, am am I overreacting to this? I mean, no, you're not overreacting. This is this is why I thought it was important to talk to Gary about this subject because this is stuff that people don't understand or know. Why law enforcement is not interested to know that you have an organization calling itself a church. We're not talking about some crazy little fucking cult somewhere hiding in the fucking woods. We are talking about a church with tax exemption. Oh, yeah. Dave had an escape plan. I had an escape route established that was always to be cleared and graded so he and Shelly could take the car and be gone. And where would they go? I didn't know beyond that because that was the next level that I wasn't privy to. But I used to talk to Shelly about it quite often, about making sure and telling her the things that she should have packed for herself and, and Dave and what vehicle they would take. And the path that I had to ensure that it was 24-7 cleared and available to them while as long as they're on the property. All right. Do you want to back up, Mike? Do you want to talk about basic Scientology security? and? Yeah, I just wanted to establish the fact that the world of Scientology at Sea Organization installations, which are located around the world, there is a security force, which consists of Sea Org members. And Gary was one of those. He was... Like, if you're in LA, you'll see them on their bikes and shit. Yeah. Yeah. And they wear little badges and, you know, uniforms. They look very official. Either khaki or dark blue, trying to look like some uh, law enforcement agency. And they are dressed up and, but generally these people are nothing more than SEOG members who have been assigned that duty, just like they might be assigned to file papers in the folders or to get money out of people or to do the gardening. But they're SEOG members. Yeah, they're SEOG members. And how are they trained? Exactly. My point is they're just literally... Joe Blow, they have no background, no experience. So they come in and they get assigned to the security force. Okay. And Jacks, I mean, Gary, I, I'm so used to calling Gary Moorhead Jackson mm-hmm. because Jackson was the code name that he had at the international base. And everybody knew him and as referred Jackson. to him as Jackson. So if I slip up every now and then, that's just, <laughs> that's why. <laughs> But it's sort of another part of this ridiculous security. I literally had to write down Gary because I was like, I don't call him Gary. I've always called him Jackson. (laughs) I know, me either. But okay, so you get someone and they arrive in the security force. What sort of training do these people have, Gary? Well, I will say up until I left, it was a requirement to obtain outside training and the California standard of your uh, possessing your security officer guard card is what it was called called a guard card so anybody in the world that gets hired or in the u.s gets hired as a security officer to watch open and close gates you have to have a a guard card so it trains you to observe and report at the imp base and what we train the other sea organization establishments is 
to maintain that standard for public appearances. Now, when you say the int base, you're talking about Golden Era Productions, right? Golden Era. I, I'm sorry, everybody. That's yes, okay. yes that, that's correct. And um, yes, this was all really established back in 1982 when uh, there was a big, that, that whole Snow White, that there was a program internally being run where the outside world was looking for L. Ron Hubbard. You mean the authorities? That's correct. We were trying to find L. Ron Hubbard. Uh-huh. And we had tons of media showing up at our gates. A lot of people who had left early, David Mayo's, um, significant names that were once on staff at that base had left and they came back to voice their disagreements. Mm-hmm. And we were trained and drilled by church attorneys and Marty Rathburn to and how to handle these folks. And we had to get our security guards. We went a firearm training pretty intensely trained. That's all we did for months on end. And then the helicopters and media showed up and cameras were stuffed in our faces. And it was quite a shock to me being a young little punk. Mm-hmm. I think I was 17, 16 years old, um, standing out there defending the base against these outside bad people. And you saw them because you were indoctrinated to believe these are the enemies of mankind. That's right. Yeah. Here to try to take down and take over Scientology. That's correct. That is so, I mean, I can't emphasize enough the mentality that you're in. And I was put in that I am saving mankind's future by defending the existence of this base, because if without this base, Scientology will not exist. And the world will cease to exist, right? That's right. That That's right. So it's that, it's that extremist mentality. It's not that every Scientologist has, see or, or not. That's correct. Uh, yes. And so you were trained uh, how to handle firearms. And then what about the Scientology? Uh, uh, do you guys carry firearms, all of you? No. No, those were strategically placed around the property. And eventually when this, at one time they were just located in the security office in a cheap gun cabinet. Um, we had uh, eight 12 gauge shotguns. Back in the early days, we had two high powered rifles. Uh, they're called H and K ninety ones. They're three Oh eight rounds to any gun enthusiast listening. They're, they're high powered guns, two of those. And then we had 11 45 caliber pistols and those were just located in the office uh, eventually two of my guards um uve stukenbrock and danny dunnigan in, in an effort to increase our public relations like i became a volunteer firefighter we decided to have guards go out and be volunteer police officers to do community policing so that uh, that allowed uve and danny who had great personal interest to obtain their gun carrying license that they obtained it through that, and that led to Danny uh, almost shooting his foot off in the main booth one night. Because <laughs> you know Danny Dunnigan, right, Mike? Uh, yeah, we he 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 got the nickname of Danny Dunnit again because he'd always pulled little <laughs> stints like this, oh and he literally almost shot his foot off. He's the Bonnie Fife of the security force at Gold. <laughs> Absolutely, absolutely. So. Uh, that was basically, I mean, Uwe and Danny tried to carry it around to go do internal inspections um, based off of L. Ron Hubbard's administrative technology. It required us security guards to do inspections of the state of people's workspaces and stuff. And, and to create that imposing atmosphere, Danny and Uwe wanted to carry their guns. And I, I used to have battles with them about it, yelling at them to not do it, not do it. And then it eventually it went away, but the, the gun still existed up to the point I left. 
And what are the other, what are the security measures that Scientology takes, you know, at like the in-base? Because, you know, I, I, for those out there who are, let's say, in Seattle, Mike, and they pass by a Scientology church of Scientology or, you know, any organization in America, you're not really going to, you're not seeing these things. Right. Like, let's say at a celebrity center, I don't think people realize the security measures that they have taken. I mean, they could see you from the freeway. The LAPD yes. Hollywood division told me that they go, they use Scientology's cameras, cameras all the time because they're better than the LAPDs. Yep. Same at my base at the, at the golden era base, Leah, they came out and they prided themselves. They can come catch some people through our cameras. They have plate cameras there at gold that, focus in on the license plate of vehicles driving by of every passing car in different aspects. So we cannot miss a plate and that was achieved. <laughs> and are plates kind of um, like, are they tagged for like, Oh, if they see Mike's car coming near flag, the flag land base in Clearwater, Florida, or what is. I, I would highly suspect that mm-hmm. plate ID capturing is, is available now. When I was there, the only thing that we had is if we had somebody drive by, for instance, and threw a grapefruit at the main booth, instantly a guard would hit a button and that button would increase the uh, the number of frames per second that the cameras were recording. Mm-hmm. So to save disk space on the hard drives that we had to store all that recording information, when something happened, you just hit a button and it, and it would triple the amount of frames per second. So it may be recording 10 and then suddenly it would be recording 300. Sure. And and we could walk through every single frame to capture plates. Um, it, it, outside of that, prior to my leaving or after I left, uh, we we didn't have that. But I, I it wouldn't surprise me, Leah. It would not surprise me. I mean, the number of cameras that were increased, the money that was spent just on lenses. I remember spending seven thousand dollars on a, one lens we bought off of ABC Seven LA cameraman. $7,000 so we can read a book from up on the hill down to behind MCI. Let's talk about the measures that are taken uh, so that people don't escape the int base. Now, okay. the two, I think the most uh, protective bases, and you guys can tell me if I'm wrong, are the int base Golden Era Productions in Riverside. And the other one, it, it, is it Mike in Lake Arrowhead where Shelly Miscavige is suspected to be? What's the name of that place? Uh, Twin Peaks or Mile High or CST, HQ, various names for it. But that's that's the property, yes. And would and you that- say that those are the two highest, meaning for uh, the measures that are taken for people to not get out? Yes. Yes. Absolutely. The only other one that is close to those two is the free winds, and that is because it's a ship. Right. So there's only uh, one gangplank on and off, or if you're out at sea, there's no on and off. So right. that that has has uh, you know incredibly difficult security to breach. But the gold property and the property at Mile High are the two where the most um, amount of time and money and effort has been expended to prevent people being able to leave those properties or, you know, the presentation to the outside world is to to prevent people from being able to break in. Right. But truthfully, the primary concern is people escaping rather than people coming in. 
back in 2009, when I went and met with the FBI about my security, you know, download my security information to them, I walked into the Portland, Oregon FBI office and I just started laughing at the security measures that they had because what I had seen and how they were set up exactly occurred, was set up at the base, but we had the next level of it. Like they had these scrambled keypads that would constantly scramble the codes to enter it in. And we had had that seven years prior at the base. Right. Just to give you an example of what you're in search of is an answer to how extreme the church and the money spent on security measures. It was on the same level and, and far exceeded beyond uh, FBI standards. And for those out, out there who, who don't know, again, Gary's story or Mike's story, Gary, Mike, the Headleys, Valerie Haney, everybody who has escaped the gold base and witnessed crimes have all gone to the authorities and told them what they had witnessed, uh, what they experienced, and most importantly, what they d- had done themselves. To date, not a fucking thing has happened. But let's move forward. Um, (laughs) What measures are, uh, let's go over them. I want to go over Mike's list because Mike made this list and I'm sure this is too from you, Gary. But the measures that Scientology is going through to keep people from escaping these these bases are fences and gates, roving guards, lights, motion detectors, cameras, eagle lookout, they hold the passports of people so they can't leave, like, like say, the ship. That's the first thing that they do is they confiscate people's passports. Uh, they control their phone calls. You cannot call 911, by the way, nope. from um, a Scientology organization. You pick up the phone, and it goes directly to in-house security. Told that to the Riverside County Sheriff's Office. I said, the next time you're being jerked off by Scientology why don't you ask them to use their phone and just try to call 911? We didn't seem to be too interested in that. Uh, check incoming and outgoing mail. So every letter is checked, thrown away if it's a parent or a concerned family member or friend. If a person from inside is writing to their father, their mother, saying, come help me, I can't get out of this place, that will be thrown away. And the person will be severely punished interrogated and probably watched 24 hours a day by a guard, an armed guard. Do you want to go over any of these things? Like you say, Eagle Lookout, what does that mean? Well, that was a name generated default. One of my guards one day went, when he was on watch up at the Northern side of the property at the base of the hill, he just went wandering and scouting on his own up the hillside to see if there was a better vantage point. And, and to our great surprise, he found two locations and that eventually led to our final location, the current one up there, of of a great uh, vantage point where you can see anything and everywhere on the property uh, with a great set of binoculars. It was a you know it really saved our manpower in the security force because somebody could an alarm went off the eagle guard and just eagle by default he's an eagle up in a nest. He could just look in his binoculars and tell the state or the condition of what's going on out there and uh, bring in. Uh, instant relief of concern that somebody's hopping a fence or trying to leave. So uh, you could follow people around. You know, if you're sitting down in the booth, you go, Hey, have you seen, uh, you seen the maintenance man? Let me take a look around for him. And he would be the guy that literally could look around the property and go, Oh yeah, he's over by this gate. I see him on his bike right now, or he's fixing a pipe or something. Um, Or are you looking for an executive? Yeah. Yeah. They're down by this building or they're, they just walked into there. Now, 
before we get to something what's called the blow drill, I, I want to talk to you about, just, just again, just to reiterate, Mike, you're on the base. Gary, you're on the base, right? Mm-hmm. You live mm-hmm. and work with these people. You've lived and worked with these people 10, 20, 30, 40 fucking years. You just say, fuck it. I'm out. I'm tired of being abused. I want to see my family. I want to live my life. And by the way, there's no access to internet as well. So these people don't even know sometimes, Gary, that you even left the Sea Org or that Mike left the Sea Org. Oftentimes, people on these compounds are told, oh, Mike's on a mission or Gary's on a mission. They don't even know you left. That's right. That is so so true. Yeah. And you don't have a cell phone. You can't just call the person and find out yourself. I mean, uh, anyway. Um, so just one day you just go, hey, had enough of this shit. I don't want to be in the Sea Org anymore. I just want to go be with my family. And you go, hey, Danny Dunnigan, brains of the fucking operation of golds. Uh, move aside, son, before I kick your fucking ass. I'm leaving. Oh, my God. If I even had a brain brain cell to entertain how easy that would be, I, Lee, I would have saved myself a lot of misery. No, but what, what would happen? Tell people what would happen if you just said, move aside, Danny. Well, I'll, I well, could take you physically. I could take you. Just move the fuck aside. I'm leaving. The imposement of security in one's personal world is established at the onset of somebody arriving to the to the Golden Air base to become a full-time staff member there. You know, it's internally considered a promotion. You're going over the rainbow working with the, the big dogs. It, it, it literally is, other, other than, hey, the, 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 the mess hall or the eating hall is down there. You can do your laundry there. No, that's a secondary concern. The first and foremost thing is here are the security procedures you are expected to follow, and you have to read these things, understand them, demonstrate them in, in clay to prove that you mentally under, and, and know everything about them. Mm-hmm. Uh, a great extent to set that seed in one's mind. And every day that you go on there, there's always a live security concern for every staff member. Every piece of paper has to be placed either in a shredding machine or in a shredding bin. So to be later shredded by a machine, tearing it into thousands of things. And, and I had to make sure that that shredding machine would absolutely destroy a piece of paper, not just strip shred it, but cross, 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 cross shred it almost mm-hmm. to a pulp. And then people know that their mail's gone through and personal information is obtained out of that to, for my benefit to be able to find them. So your example that you just so happily gave of, hey, I'm out of here. I just want to leave. Hey, Danny, you know, open the gate. I want to go. The staff members know that's it's not going to be that easy. So they have to start. No, no. But what what would happen? But this, yes, what would happen? Because we are asked this consistently. And people write us like, oh, if David Miscavige hit me, I'll fucking, you know. I, and, and I said this before. I could physically take David Miscavige. It's not about, you know, fucking brawn. It's not about being tall. It's not about being strong. I could fuck him up. It's right. not about that, right? So I just want to answer two things, Mike and, and Gary. What would happen? You have your suitcase, Mike, in your hand. Gary, you're like, I don't want any problems. Just want to go. What happens? They would attempt to physically stop you. Okay. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that uh, depends on the circumstances very much. Okay. But re- remember, Leah, 
that Larry Wright called his book The Prison of Belief for a reason. It's because the mindset of people is that they cannot get out. And I'm going to give you an example of one person who did exactly what you said, which is Tom DeVock. And by the way, so is Danny. Danny is one of them, uh, uh, Gary. Yep. I remember I remember a story that Valerie told where she heard that somebody had escaped and Danny was like, it, I think it was Headley, Mark Headley, who came back to try to save people to get, and he was there with the film crew. Yeah. And Danny was out there acting like a fucking tough guy. And Mark was like, dude, if you want to come with me. And he was like, you know, go fuck yourself. Uh, not even talking to him. Like if he talked right. to him, his he would instantly die because he's a suppressive person. But Valerie says when he came back in, he was like, fuck. Like he left. He got out. <laughs> like he right. wanted to leave. Right. He was like, I should have done it, but I don't want to die of cancer. He literally said that. I don't want to die yep. of cancer. Yeah. Yes. That's what I mean. This is the prison of belief. The belief is that a, you won't make it. Somehow it will get screwed up. They won't open the gate. Someone will restrain you. You'll end up, you know, bundled away and locked in a room with someone sitting outside, blah, blah. And it'll be your life will just become incrementally worse than it already is. That you won't make it. David David Miscavige's favorite speech is you'll be fucking flipping burgers somewhere. Yeah. Like that's a like that's a bad thing. I, right. I think anybody at Gold, if I would have asked you, Mike, or you, Gary, would you rather flip a fucking burger than be beaten every day or give up your life for something that is a complete waste of time and a fucking lie? You'd be like, yeah, please. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But go ahead. Tell your story about Tom DeVock. Yeah, because Tom DeVock did what I have never seen anybody else do at Gold. Really? Weeks and weeks and months and months, he was being interrogated. He was being kept out at this old ramshackle house called the Old Gilman House, which is where the really bottom of the barrel people at the Golden Era Productions were assigned to be guarded 24-7. And that's because he had mentioned he wanted to leave? Yes, and he was in disagreement with the whole, and he was in disagreement with Miscavige, and he voiced those disagreements very, very overtly. And he was told, and he set himself a deadline and said, look, I will sit here. I will get all your interrogations. I'll do whatever you want for four weeks or six weeks or however long it was. And he said, on this date, I'm leaving. On this date, I am walking out of here. On this date, I don't care what you do to me. You're going to have to kill me or I'm getting out the gate. So that date came, and of course, as always, nobody wanted to let him go, and he walked down to the main, one of the main gates, these big iron gates with spikes on the top, and he, said, he pushed the intercom button and said, open the gate. And Danny or whoever was at the main booth said, no, we're not opening the gate. And he said, open the fucking gate, I'm going out. Nope, we're not opening the gate. And he said, good, I'm climbing over it. So by this time, they have sent the roving guards on their motorcycles down to accost him. And like physically. Yep. Mm -hmm. Physically prevent him from climbing over the gate, the fence. And they also sent someone to get me. And I was in the hole because I was the person that 
Tom DeVoc knew better than anybody in the Sea Org. I'd been like a lot. It's a long story, which you know some of. And I was supposed to go out there and try and deal with Tom and make sure the situation didn't get out of hand. Okay. By the time I get there, Tom is had climbed up and was on the spikes on the top of the fence, the mm -hmm. gate that was... And the idiot in the, the booth decides they're going to knock him off the thing by opening the gate. <laughs> and so Tom is riding the gate across the driveway. Oh, great. I mean, it's open. Uh, now it's open. Yeah. And I'm like, hold on, everybody. You can't put your hands on him. Now, now that the gate's open, because now the gate's open and people, passerbys, could see right. somebody hanging on a fucking gate and maybe people, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, but I was savvy enough uh, in the legal arena to know that if anybody put their hands on him and sought to stop him from leaving, that they could be in serious criminal trouble. Because that is, you know, assault and battery. It is. Uh, Mike, can I? But, but Mike, that doesn't make sense because you were being beaten as you're telling the story. Of course. But I was still in the mind of prison of belief. No, no, no. What I'm saying is, you, I just want to clarify. You're saying it, it was okay to assault people because, I mean, Gary said it was okay to kill somebody from the FBI or law enforcement or a civilian. Um, but you're just saying that people could see from the outside world, not that you thought assault was wrong because you were assaulting people as well as being assaulted. Of course. Okay. All right. Just want to be clear. Of okay. course. But I then told all the security guards, even though here I am in the hole. Right. Right. <laughs> pulled out of the hole to handle this situation like I often was. And I'm having to tell them, back off. You can't touch him. He is... Out the gate. He is not going to stop. You're going to have to do something terrible to him in order to prevent this from happening. And who knows who's going to see it? So back off. So Tom walked out the gate. So then the security force has got two guys on motorcycles and they have a, a vehicle there, an SUV, the security SUV. And Tom DeVox starts walking down Highway 79 towards Hemet, which is like, you know, a 10 mile walk yep. in the middle of summer. It's 105 degrees outside and he's just walking down the road and he's like, fuck you all. I'm walking down the highway. So I had to tell all the security guards to leave, not create a scene that would now cause the sheriff's department to be called because there's two, me and Tom walking down the highway and two guys on motorcycles and the security car following like five feet behind. Right. It would look really crazy. Yeah. It would look yeah. totally crazy. And as soon as the sheriff showed up, I knew there was no chance of stopping Tom from escaping. Right. Because it was still in my mindset that I was going to talk Tom off the ledge and get him back. And that that is the insanity of this. So there you go. Sure wish I had you the day I had to chase Julie Fisher for five hours through three counties. Well, we're going to talk about that in a second because I want to get back to this really fast. But so, Mike, you ended up, uh, I know the story, uh, but to just put it in a nutshell, you walked Tom to a motel. 
Tom's brother helped him out with the room. He had outside help, thank God, or he wouldn't have made it. And he ended up going to live with um, other exes, which is how this works, by the way, everybody. We have a very small network of people who help each other. And now the Aftermath Foundation has been set up to help people. But, you know, they don't even know it exists, unfortunately. Right. But right. but they usually know how to get a hold of the Headleys, Amy Scobie and Matt Pesh, and now Gary and Mike. And, me, like, just people know that there's a network of people who are willing to take them in. And, by the way, this is happening um, a lot more often, thank God, we just are not able to talk about it, just so right. everybody knows. And, and we thank you for your suggestions because people always suggest, like, why don't you set up something so people know? You know, people know how to get to us. The problem is we can't get to them um, right. unless right. they they go so far as to escape um, in the way that they have. And and unfortunately, like the the bases that we are are talking about have really super locked down. If you thought they were locked down before because right. of these escapes, um, they take extra precaution now so that that doesn't happen. But anyway, Tom has gone off. He has a beautiful daughter. He's doing great. He's been on the aftermath. You could find him on Instagram. He's out there living his life and, uh, and we love him. But anyway, is there anything you wanted to add about the Tom DeVox story? No, no. I just wanted to give an example because the, Reality is that SEOG members don't know that that's true. They right. don't know that ultimately you can't have people putting their hands on you. Ultimately, you can't have someone physically restraining you, preventing you from leaving. Right. That right. you can't have an organization take your passport. You can't have an organization do all these things. They don't know that. They think right. that's just normal because that is that is normal in the SEOG. And they literally can just rush the gate and leave. They actually can yes. do that. And yes, they might try to physically restrain you. That's very true. Flat, you know, yes, but you know, that's yes, they can just run out the gate, run to out right. if if they if they if they really wanted to. But anyway, right. um but there's a thing called a blow drill to prevent these things from happening. Yeah. Well, after the fact. Yeah. They don't prevent them. This is the this, this is, is the This is the after. Right. Math. When someone does escape, yes, there is a a thing called the blow drill. And, and what's Scientology a blow? claims that this doesn't exist, that there is no such thing. And <laughs> a blow is a unauthorized departure. That's and right. that's what it's called in Scientology, and particularly in the Sea Org, is a blow. If you leave the Sea Organization without approval or authorization or doing the appropriate route outs and interrogations, et cetera, et cetera, it is deemed a blow. And there is a big, big effort made to recover you, depending upon your importance in the organization. That's correct. If, if you're someone who was very close to David Miscavige, worked with him, had a lot of information about what he is doing or engaged in on a day-to-day... Experienced abuse, experienced and witnessed criminality going on in Scientology. That's right. Then you're a, a prime candidate for the blow drill. And the, the measure of this is... Uh, Marty Rathman and I have talked about this when we were in the positions we were in 
uh, very very uh, right-hand mandish to Miscavige for a time. Every morning in the morning when Miscavige woke up and, and sucked down his first camel non-filter and his first cup of black dark coffee, he would summon Marty and me, and the first question he always asked us was, who blew? Did anybody blow? Has there been a blow? Because a blow from the int base was considered to be a major catastrophe. And if that did happen, if someone jumped the fence, if they got through the gate, like the Rum Miscavages of the world, or Valerie, or anything like that, then the blow drill would be put into full effect. And this happens at that base. It happens in Los Angeles. It happens at Flag in Clearwater. At the major Sea Org installations, the blow drill is a very well-known and very uh, grooved-in pattern of operation to track down someone who has left, find them as fast as possible, and get them back. And that blow drill is a, you know, I'll let Gary describe exactly how it's gone about, but it's, you know, we could probably do it off the top of our heads and both speak in unison. Now, the first thing that I want to say uh, about this is that when you when you join Scientology, whether you're a Sea Org member or a parishioner like myself, you are required to fill out a life history that goes in your folders in Scientology. And that life history is literally that. You have to write down every person you know, addresses, phone numbers, an aunt, a second cousin, and you're just kind of like filling it out innocently, like my church needs this information. You don't know that that's the first thing that Gary Moorhead is going to get. And draw information from, that's right. <laughs> when they find out Mike Rinder has blown. Right. What's the first thing that you do? Well, first of all, uh, determine how long ago it was that they left. If it was an immediate recognition. We would send people immediately out to points of transportation locally, uh, bus stations, taxis. I had my scanners dialed in to listen to taxi communicate radio transmissions, airports, and train stations. Uh, once those bases are established, we then would move into say, phase two of finding out where their family was, how far it was, what their sources of income are, if they have credit cards, what that information is. And how are you getting this information, let's say, from, like, the airport? So, you, basically, you would look through, the, you would start looking through, culling, what's called culling, looking through their folders to find out where they might go, right? Correct. So, you were listening into taxi transitions, but what about airports? Did you guys know people's flights? How did you know that stuff? Well, back in the days that I was there, it was relatively easy to still call the airlines and play off your their cousin or their brother or their uncle or whatever family connection and say, I'm, I'm here at the airport. I want to make sure they're coming in. Uh -huh. And um, the kind person on the other end would look up that name and you would confirm, yes, that's who I'm looking for. And they would tell you when their flight was. And it was easy peasy. And Mike, since then, it has evolved. Yes. Right. Now, Scientology has its own travel agency. Yeah. And thus has access to the airline 
reservation systems. There are two of them, Saber and something else, that have every reservation that is recorded for any flight. Wow. But in addition, when you have a life history form and all the information that Scientology has, you have mother's maiden name, social security number, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You then call up the credit card companies and say, oh, I lost my credit card just now. Uh, I'm trying to find out if, if anybody has made a charge on my credit card mm. recently so that I can report it as lost and you can cancel it. And the first effort is to get information about where the charge was made. And the second is then get it canceled mm -hmm. so that the person no longer has money accessible to be able to move anywhere further. And there are tons of stories of how this whole evolution gets put into operation. And it is uh, labor intensive people on the phones, calling motels, calling the credit card companies, calling airlines, bus services, etc., etc. And you name it. Yeah. You remember when we talked to Claire Headley, how they tracked her down at a bus station in well, wherever it was, Basto or something, because she had caught a bus and was on her way to Las Vegas, and Greg Wilhere appeared suddenly at the bus station. Right, and the only way she got on that bus was she threatened to scream. She said, I'm going to sit down on this floor so that you can't pick me up, and I'm going to scream. Yes. And that's the only way she got on that bus. Right, but they found her by tracking her through this blow drill. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing that happened... Like Marty Rathman tells the story about when he chartered a private jet to fly him to Boston to intercept Annie Broker, Annie Broker when yeah. she blew. Mm. And Annie Broker, just for people who don't know, was the, the one of the people that L. Rod Hubbard actually left in charge of Scientology instead of David Miscavige. Right, exactly. Yeah, go ahead. And, and there, there are but numerous... Go, but go through this. But go through this, Mike, because this is uh, pretty interesting here. So... The files are gone through, the personnel files, the life history, auditing files to find anything that could be possibly a lead or a clue as to where this person would be. Meanwhile, bank account information, credit card information is pulled out, and where are they spending money? Because that will tell you where they are. Then all their relatives are called. Oh, we're just checking... Uh, if you've heard from blah, 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 she, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, some suitable guy's pretext call would be made mm -hmm. to see if they've contacted their relatives. And then they contact non-Scientologists that they've been involved in. And then they put, uh, people just to go out and look like Bill Dendu, when he escaped from the gold base was <laughs> oh found, God. believe it or not, at a San Francisco Giants baseball game. That's because right. Because everybody knew that Bill Dendu was a mad Giants baseball fan, and they tracked him as far as that he had gone to San Francisco area, and then people were sent to look at the baseball stadium and found him in the baseball stadium. It's insane. Then the PIs get uh, involved, you know, we're looking for this person here, you know, contact the police, see if there's anything that your local police 
department knows about. Ba -ba 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 -ba. It's like a massive operation depending on who the person is. And the amount of time and money, tax-free dollars, that mm -hmm. is spent on this sort of stuff is sickening. This is not that the reason why they have tax exemption. You're absolutely right, Mike. And but but also the millions upon millions of dollars that they spend on keeping people in, in is also something that the IRS should be looking into. And I also want to make this point about the FBI and authorities. It's not that they can't do anything. I don't want anybody to get the idea that what they're hearing from from Gary, from the Headleys, from Mike Rinder, from Amy Scobies is not alarming to the agencies or that they don't think they can act on these things. It's just that they haven't. <laughs> right. That's right. I wanted to highlight, you guys heard Mike communicate that passionately and that, that one particular Bill Dindu recovery in Giant Stadium, that was a great example of the intensity and manpower spent to find one person based off of the information that I had collected and had ready at hand where you sit there and figure out uh, who their buddies were, their, their, what they liked doing. If they were a bowler, we would have gone to all bowling alleys. If they, if they liked surfing, we would have been every beach up and down the coast. We would have had somebody wandering the beaches looking for Bill Dindu surfing. Well, Bill Dindu was a very big sports fanatic. So, we looked up schedules of the local teams that he liked. Hey, there's a game going on today. I sent five or six people to that. Just go up and down the aisles, look for Bill Dindu. And lo and behold, there he was. And what happened? Well, he came back. We brought him back. Once we found him, the people that I sent out there to find them are instructed not to approach him. Now that we found him, the game turns into don't lose him. Then we fly somebody out. Uh, to them who is an opinion leader, somebody who has a personal influence on them, mm -hmm. uh, somebody they may look up to. It may be one of the staff, it may be their wife, it may be one of the parishioners mm -hmm. to go out there and sit down next to Bill at a Giants game and go, hey, listen, bud, you know, you should come back. Let's go grab us a hot dog and peanut and talk about this. Right, right. And I also want to say, you're talking about people, like what Mike was mentioning earlier, what you also agree with, Gary, is most of us were born and raised in Scientology, if not the Sea Org, like you guys, right. right? Right. You have no outside family that you are connected to that are not Scientologists. So you don't have anywhere to go. No. If that's all you know. If you are a parishioner and you decide, I don't want to be in Scientology anymore, the enormous amount of pressure of from your Scientology family. Your church is calling your mother, your husband, your wife, your kids going, your mother is connected up with some really dangerous SPs. Your mother is in trouble. And your eternity is at stake if you don't get your mother in here for interrogations. Like the amount of pressure, your boss, if, if you're a Scientologist, you're usually working for a Scientology company. You're not going to have a fucking job if you don't do what they say. You're not going to be right. married. Your husband's going to leave you. Your wife is going to leave you. Your children will disconnect from you unless you do what Scientology is saying to do. So it really comes back to the mental 
prison, like you said. It's a prison right. of belief, and you really don't have a network outside of that. I'm not talking about people who are actors and artists who usually do have other, but, you know, I'm not going to pick a celebrity friend over my own kid. I'm going to choose to stay connected to my kid. And if that means staying in Scientology, that's what it means. And that is what you're dealing with a lot of these times. And the only other thing that I want to add is, if I was Bill. Didn't do, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's like, why not just say, hey, go fuck yourselves. I'm staying out. Well, it's like you said. You got the person's mother coming to the game. You got people who this guy looks up to going, dude, you know you have to come back. You know, if you don't want to be in the Sea Org, you have to do it right. You have to come back. You have to route out properly. And you know what routing out properly means? That you're probably never leaving the compound again. That's right. Once they get you back on the base. And you yep. know that. That's <laughs> you, right. You know what I mean? And as yeah. far as the FBI and other agencies, look, they have talked to Mike. They have come up with the idea of we're just going to go in and raid the joint. And... People are just going to come out in droves. And, and we've all told them, like, that's not going to work. You're the enemy to them. If right. you want to raid Scientology's folders, files, files yeah. that's what you should do. Yes, please. It worked in the <laughs> 70s. They still yeah. have files, everybody. Oh, still, yeah. And, Mike, you should put up that um, that, that, that Tony Ortega uh, writing on the folders, you know, because yeah. all of Scientology's crimes are in those folders. Now, Leah, I wanted to convey, you were talking about Bill. Yeah. I mean, there was, I did the math in a, you know, poorly generated way, but over the, over a period of time, I figured there was over 300 people that I had personally was involved with chasing down either repeats or new people who had chosen to leave and chose to leave unannounced right. that I had to go out and find. Right. Now, there was highlights and using bills an example where he chooses to go to uh, a giants game. I mean, people who leave, they're not of the mindset initially when we are starting to do this. And that was to my benefit as a security chief, they weren't concerned about somebody finding them. So they go out for some instant gratification, Yeah, you know, and, and we knew that we knew that, that that's how simple it was. I found this one guy, Chris Silcock in Vegas, sitting in a worn arm bandit. And he is, he was there the entire time we were looking for him. His fingers were completely covered in finger dirt from the coins. Like they were black. He put so many quarters in. Oh, or, I thought you meant something else. I was like, you oh, thought no. him jerking off? I don't no, 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 um, <laughs> why did Why did I go there, Mike? Like, I, I don't know. I'm like, what are you talking about? I thought Vegas, strip club. You yeah. said one arm bit. I was like, I don't know what you Hey, saying. believe me, I wish I would have found somebody in a strip club because <laughs> I could have had my own fun. Yeah, exactly. But, you could have got some eye like candy, yeah. right? Yeah. Could have <laughs> sent out a list. If you're going to blow, go here. Right? <laughs> oh, boy. Listen, use your time wisely. Use your time wisely. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and uh, another one, Clark Morton, Mike will remember when he took off. We found him in... Uh, in Nevada, in, in whatever, the, I forget the name of the place out there. But when I was sitting in the passenger seat, John Brousseau, JB, was driving. He and I both were out there looking for Clark. We found him there. Another security, uh, a big top security guy who's yeah. also left Scientology and has also been on our show. Yep, my, my brother, JB. Anyways, it, it, we got Clark to agree to come back, but he was going to drive his own car. So I sat in the passenger seat of... Clark's car, JB followed us back and we're driving all the way back home. And Clark, the closer he got, the more freaked out he was going. I fell asleep because I'd been up for days. 
trying to find Clark. I couldn't sleep. I passed out in the passenger seat. Clark literally was of the psychotic mindset that he was going to, as we're speeding down the road, reach across, open up the door and push me out. Are you? No, dead serious. Dead serious. That, and, and I'm conveying this and that this is what the staff That's members the mindset. Who, That's who the blow mindset. Yeah. The craziness that they, that the past they go down in an effort to not go back that, right. that we, it's my job to overcome that. Yeah, yeah. Either physically restraining them or get someone to mentally strain, yeah. restraining them. But that's what it was. He kept speeding up. JB had a hard time catching up to us because Clark was trying to race away from JB following us. To, to throw you out and to, and to kill you, possibly? He, he, didn't have, he didn't care that it would kill me. It would just right. get me out of the car so he could be on his own and be on right. his own way. And then uh, another one was Julie Fisher, a high-speed chase for five hours through San Bernardino, Riverside, LA, and Orange Counties. Chasing her in this, she took off a, a hired contractor who was a non-Scientologist, non-staff member. He, we hired him to come in and build our sports field. They got this mental attraction for each other. And he came by and swooped her up. And she jumped in the van. And I, next thing you know, me and two other cars are chasing her. Literally high speed, like power slides and for five hours until he went off road. And we couldn't chase him anymore. And we blew out someone's driveline of one of the staff members' cars. But... The intensity, both sides of the coin. What happened? Uh, well, over a period, we were building all those grassy, the, the soccer fields and football fields that you see aerially on the south side of the property. How it looks mm -hmm. so grand out there. And all that was being. Why did you guys play sports out there? You guys got to do that stuff? If Mike, we were. You were out there playing basketball and shit? That's that soccer field, which is a professional grade soccer field, yep, was professional. installed so that David Beckham so that Tom Cruise could invite David Beckham, Beckham to come to the base and woo him, hang out on the soccer field so that he could then be indoctrinated or sucked into Scientology. Did he ever come? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> so it's there for the staff? So it's there for the staff? You guys get out there and play soccer oh, yeah, yeah. All in, in between beatings? But it, it was man, it, it was manicured daily, though I'll tell you that. Oh, of course, just like L. Ron Hubbard's houses that are being yeah. maintained, and his uh, pajamas put out every night, just in case he comes back. But uh, so, is that the story you wanted to tell that I interrupted you earlier? Was Julie? It, it was one of them, but yeah, Julie was a significant one. But where did Julie I, end up ever just leaving and living her life with? The, no, because she has a deep-seated involvement with not only L. Ron Hubbard. And, and David Miscavige in church management and finances and, mm -hmm. and, and inner workings of the church. She is considered a, a high-risk threat. So eventually she, she came leave. back? We, brought, we got her back. We found her, we, we found her in a hotel or motel in Redlands, California. And uh, we sent her brother there, who was one of my guards, to coax and convince her to come back. She came back, and for months she got interrogated and then spiritually wined and dined. Mm -hmm. and uh, she got eventually reassigned to a lower job uh, assignment. And if, whenever anybody took off, I had this theory of, I tell my guards that it's the third eye theory. The staff member who blew, came back, was fixed spiritually. They think now you can go back and, and mingle with the regular staff and not be concerned. Thank you for getting through all that. It's good to have you back. They go about their way. We we were the third eye. We always checked on them. We were always reporting on them. 
forever for the rest of their history. How's Julie right. doing? What's the latest and greatest? Right, like she she got like you get the scarlet letter, right? It's yeah, like and it, I called it the third eye theory that yeah, yeah. once you blow, you have a third eye assigned to you, no matter your outcome. Even if they left staff, we had to keep track of people like Jesse Prince's, and if they didn't come back, we still had to know how they were doing, and that's what's led into Dave paying PIs hundreds of thousands of dollars to watch them for years on end after they do leave. But you mean millions? Oh, millions. Yeah. I'm yeah. sorry. I, I didn't want to under underestimate that, but yeah. it's just, I'm trying to communicate if people haven't gotten out already on both sides of the coin, whether they stay or go, or they come back and stay, or they come back and route out. Scientology still keeps their freaking fingers on them oh, sure. on how they're doing. And they spend money, time and effort on obtaining that information current. So at any time, Dave Miscavige can call up and that's the compulsion for the staff that if the chairman of the board calls, I have an answer. And yes, sir, they're here now. They live here. They live in, you know, South Dakota and they're an oil man or they, Mm -hmm. whatever, this is what they're doing. And as of last month, they had $70 in their bank account. So yeah, they're not doing too well. Mm. And, and that gives Dave the satisfaction that he built this internal network of information to satisfy his own needs, his own ends. Right. What was the other story you wanted to tell me? Uh, gosh, yeah, there's actually so many. I mean, I, I really could spend a whole podcast just alone on. No, I thought there was a specific one. Was that the Julie one that you oh, wanted to tell? No. Well, there was also the girl. Her name was Jan Sims, who's yeah. also since left. Mm-hmm. Um, she was a dear, like a considered a sister to Shelley. Yeah. And that was my witness to the ex- no expense spared to find a person where mm-hmm. one minute I'm on a cloud hopping plane from one state to the next, mm-hmm. uh, jump out, uh, rent a Cadillac, drive it over two states, suddenly get a phone call to jump out of it, get back on a plane. And surveillance equipment was shipped to me, uh, listening devices, uh, just the amount of money spent on surveillance equipment is incredible. Um, Tom Romohart, you may remember Mike, Tom Romohart. I had a camera staring in this guy's face, like right in front of his face in a table in a room wired for stereo sound. Um, and, and we had color cameras. I mean, I'm telling you, it's, it's, uh, it's incredible. The amount of money it's no joke. They have rooms full of equipment just to watch people, their own people, their own people, their own people. Quickly, I wanted to also clarify uh, uh, an image that's out there that people see these imposing pictures of the perimeter fences, the golden era, those stainless steel spikes. Initially, there was no fencing around the property in the early 80s. Elmer Hubbard did not want it. We had there was a theft of a lot of equipment. It then became a semi security fence. And then Dave Miscavige wanted a full blown security fence that was established to what you see today and grown upon to keep people in. And that is eventually what it turned into. The interest became that our concern is not keeping people out. We've proven ourselves over the years. We can do that. The trouble is keeping people in. Right. And, um, you know, even so much when I was telling you earlier, how the hundreds of hours I was interrogated to how the security system could be defeated based off of my responses and what I felt how the system could be defeated it would then come out of my interrogation session and then orders would be sent down to go fix it, such as the Southern fence that borders the riverbed on the South side of the property, the chain link that sits in the sand. Well, people were digging their way out to escape. They dig under the fence. Well, how do you handle that? Leah, you bury chain link fence six feet down in the ground. 
500 feet, however long that fence is out there. I, that's what I was doing to, if you go out there right now and go to that Southern fence and try to dig down underneath it, you're going to find chain link all the way down six feet down. And that's just incredible. The extent of their efforts, they don't care. You know, God, someone's got to, that, that's a miserable job. They don't care about that. They want the six feet of fence in the ground because no one's going to dig a hole by hand, six feet down. In the ground. Their fear is that if these people escape like Shelly Miscavige or right. Heber Jens or Guillaume Reserve or, or who else, Mike, is there uh Mark Yeager, Ray Midoff, Norman Stocky, yeah, Wendell Reynolds. And they had a safe place to go to speak. That would be the end of Scientology and David Miscavige would be in prison. That's right. Um, that's what their fear is. And also I think the, to add to why, the authorities are not doing anything is because they don't get how cults work a hundred percent unless they're specialized in that field. That's correct. And we have suggested many times that you're, if I walked onto the base and talked to you, Mike, when you were in and I said, Mike, no one's clearing the planet. You're not doing that. You know, you're being beaten. I was beaten. You, we know this is not, LRH, we know this is not what we're supposed to be doing. I mean, even though that's not even true because it actually is L. Ron Hubbard's policy to do this. Right. Maybe you would have, maybe the FBI would have a chance to get people, but people literally have to decide for themselves that they want to go. It's just yep. like nobody could talk you into it, right? Yep. I mean, and yeah. all of this, all of these activities that we've been talking about, all of the physical security, all of the blow drill, all of yep. this. All of those things are um, they're sort of props, yeah. in fact, to reinforce the idea that you can't escape. Not only that you shouldn't, but that you can't. And it's mm. the same thing with the gag agreements that everybody has made to sign. They work because people believe them to be true. Right, right. That's right. Not because they really are. And all of this stuff that gets done, all of the big show, and everybody who is at Gold knows all about all the security stuff that's around the physical security, how evident it is. They've seen people who have escaped and been dragged back or brought back sure. routinely, so they know that that's likely to happen. So this mindset adds to the I don't want to uh, have to abandon my family i don't want to be disconnected from i mm -hmm. don't want my eternity to go down the shitter mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. all of this stuff is all this big picture that keeps people inside the insanity and this is what law enforcement prosecutors and everybody else really doesn't understand mm -hmm. that the coercive, the mental coercion mm -hmm. is perhaps more dangerous and certainly more effective than anything that is done, which they look at and go, Oh, put your hands on someone mm -hmm. that's restraining them. That's a crime. Mm -hmm. It's not a crime to fuck someone's head up so bad that they are convinced that they've got to stay because they have no option in leaving. Leah, you can go out there right now and remove all the perimeter fences and those that are inside the fence, 
would not run out because they would be fearful of running. It's just, it's literally that mindset. That's, that's what the law enforcement needs to understand the mental anguish. Like Mike just. Yes. And I, and I think that, that ultimately we all three agree. And anybody who uh, has been in, in such a cult is, or in Scientology is the only way to really get them because people are escaping. People have escaped, right? It's, it's, it's in the files. Their crimes are in the files. Their crimes are financial they can be found. They can, these abuses can stop. Yep. If you're willing to, to, to go in and do what you got to do. Uh, anyway, we've talked about this ad nauseum. Uh, we've pleaded our case, and uh, I hope that people continue to, to, to support and understand that it's not just about running out and telling people to go fuck themselves. It's, right. it's, it's such a mind fuck. That it's just hard to get out of. I mean, we did, but you know, some of them can't. And listen, I have Scientology friends still in, and I and I not in the Sea Org, but I go, they got to stay in Scientology. They're not gonna, they're not gonna do well in the real world. Like <laughs> right. they, they could not fucking function right. in the real. It's much harder to not be a Scientologist in a lot of ways. You know what I mean? To not be told what to do, what to think, where to go, where to. You know what I mean? It's like, anyway. Thank you, Gary, once again for for participating in exposing Scientology. Uh, We love you. And thank you all for listening. And until next time, bye. I love you, Leah. I love you, Michael. Love you, honey. Bye, everyone.